0: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on
1: the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
2: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
0: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables
3: welcome to the costa report i'm rebecca costa and thank you for joining me for another two hours of straight talk radio if you're a regular listener you know that last week i had the privilege of giving the opening lecture for the contemporary issues series at chautauqua and before we get the program started today i'd like to take a brief moment to thank the the chautauqua women's club for their great hospitality for those of you who have never been to the chautauqua institute I want to urge you to run right over to your computers and take a look at the all-star lineup of speakers and workshops that they offer in Upper New York. Uh, to whet your appetite a little, I had the privilege of staying in the same home as Jim Lair or the McNeil Lair Report and none other than Julie Andrews herself. So that just goes to show you the kind of diversity Chautauqua offers. I hope you'll go to their website and take a look at this truly one-of-a-kind venue. As much as it is a pleasure to travel around this great nation of ours, it always feels great to be back in the studio again. And today we have a very exciting program ahead of us. Our guest is undeniably one of the foremost experts in intelligence gathering and counterterrorism, Mr. Henry Crumpton. Crumpton has had a distinguished 24-year career in the CIA and most recently released the New York Times best-selling book, The Art of Intelligence, Lessons from a Life in the CIA's clandestine service, a gripping tale of what life inside the CIA is really like, and the role spies play in forging outcomes in the world today. Before Mr. Crumpton joins us, it's important to have the proper perspective on Crumpton's love affair with espionage, which began at a very early age. Crumpton first applied to the CIA when he was just 10 years old. He received a letter that encouraged him to apply again when he was a little older, and he took this as a very good sign, and so he did, three more times to be exact. The fourth time turned out to be a charm. In 1981, Henry Crumpton joined the CIA as an operations officer. During most of Crumpton's career, he operated on foreign soil, including as chief of station. He served as deputy chief of international terrorism operations for the FBI and also worked as the deputy chief of operations of the CIA's counterterrorism center. Then in 1999, Crumpton was asked to lead the CIA's intelligence campaign in Afghanistan. Following this assignment, he accepted the position of coordinator for counterterrorism at the Department of State through 2007. Crumpton has been awarded the Intelligence Commendation Medal, the George W. Bush Award for Excellence in Counterterrorism, the Sherman Kent Award, the Donovan Award, and the Distinguished Intelligence Medal, the CIA's highest acknowledgment. Today, in addition to being a best-selling author, he is the CEO of the Crumpton Group, an international business development firm. He's also a director of Argan, as well as a board member for the Coca-Cola Company and other worldwide corporations. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report one of our nation's foremost experts in counterterrorism and intelligence gathering, Mr. Henry Crumpton. Welcome to the program, Mr. Crumpton. Hello,
4: Hello, great to be with you.
3: You know, in just a moment, we're going to talk about your latest book, The Art of Intelligence. And before we do, you've made the point that clandestine operations and intelligence gathering have been part of America's heritage, going back to the days of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And I thought that perhaps you could open the program today by talking a little bit about how clandestine operations have evolved over time in our country.
4: Well, we have a rich history of intelligence and and covert action and irregular warfare, if you will. Our, our nation was was born uh, in the crucible of that. And uh, in my book, I refer to some of my early readings as a boy: uh, Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox, his irregular warfare against the British in South Carolina. George Washington, of course, was really America's first spymaster, not only our our first president, and. Uh, we engaged in intelligence collection throughout um, the early years along the frontier against the 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 British in particular and then later on um, in the in the next century we engaged in, in the frontier wars against Native Americans and uh intelligence irregular uh, warfare of course and and then the Civil War, with great advancements in technology uh, through the turn of the century into the 20th century, where you had telegraph and railroads, and, and, and this is really transformative. And, uh, and then, of course, through World War II, where we were engaged uh, with our allies overseas. And, and of course, that was really a, a benchmark because the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, was established during World War II. And it was really a combination of both what is today the CIA and the U.S. military special forces. And that's really the forerunner for both of those organizations uh, in, in, uh, in present day.
3: Now, you became interested in joining the CIA at age 10, which I referred to in the introduction. What was it about espionage work that interested in you? And what caused you to begin your work in Africa?
4: Well, I had um, a, a great sense of, of mission. Uh, I wanted to serve my country at an early age. I came from a family of a military service and uh, a very small community, a farming community in central Georgia, and uh, a tradition, a heritage there of, of people serving their nation. And so that was a big of it. But there was a great intellectual curiosity in, in, in war, particularly irregular war, and, and the intelligence that supported that. And then, of course, there was a good dose of romanticism. I, I went and saw uh, Sean Connery uh, playing James Bond in Thunderball as a young lad, and that was uh, that was a, a key moment. And then uh, I, I just kept applying, and eventually joined when I was 23. And and once I was inside the the CIA, the clandestine service, and went through the training, uh, we had opportunities. The trainees had opportunities to bid for certain geographic areas, certain geographic divisions. There was East Asia. There was the Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, uh, Latin America, and there was Africa. And, uh, I was, I gravitated to Africa, I think, because of the, the hot battles of the cold war being fought there. And, um, I, I liked the people there. I liked the leaders there. They were, uh, very entrepreneurial, uh, creative, uh, iconclastic, if you will. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, uh, granted uh, my first tour in, uh, in Africa.
3: And you say in your book you learned quite a few lessons from that experience.
4: I did. I, I had some, some great uh, bosses and mentors and, and coaches, and, and not just within the CIA, but um, I learned a lot from uh, African colleagues and, and African sources that uh, we recruited and, and ran is part of our intelligence collection efforts. Uh, and, uh, I, I recount some of these stories in the book. Uh, one in particular, um, an African insurgent leader that I, I worked with his people closely for a couple of years and, and having no uh, military experience of my own, it was really essential in, in tutoring me along the way in insurgency in irregular warfare and, um, That was really the foundation of what I learned in Africa working in these various uh, uh, environments for my counterterrorism work that would really start uh, later on in 1998. One of
3: the comments that you've made in the past is that you learned from the insurgents that the reason that a person fights will tell you how they're going to fight.
4: Of of course, and and this goes back to my earlier academic study uh, the, the Peloponnesian War and the importance of pride, prestige, and, and honor. And I saw this firsthand in Africa, and it uh, had a much deeper impact, of course, when you when you see it firsthand and you're in, in, involved in that. And it was also about identity and about family and clan and and, tr- and tribe. And during the Cold War, we, we in the U.S. tended to see everything in, in a bipolar prism of the Cold War, But, in fact, when you're on the ground working with these insurgents, uh, there's much more and and, and it's much more complex.
3: Yes, I I can imagine that the firsthand experience is a little different than the theoretical one. Now, we have to take a short commercial break. When we come back, I'd like to talk to you about your observation that prior to 9-11, there were early warning signs regarding al-Qaeda, warning signs which we managed to somehow ignore. You're listening to The Costa Report. There's no question that selling a home can be a tricky business when the economy is uneven. But here's a little bit of good news. Not only are financing options opening up, America's love affair with the Monterey Peninsula still continues. Homes that are priced and marketed right are moving. Hi, I'm Judy Profeta, owner-broker of Alain Panel Realtors in Carmel, where we're happy to report that inventories are coming down and homes are selling. So if you're getting ready to sell or listing your home, call Alon Pinnell Realtors in Carmel at 831-622-1040. Or stop by our offices on the corner of Ocean and Dolores or our main office on Unipero between 5th and 6th in downtown Carmel. Alon Pinnell Realtors, serious brokers for serious sellers. If you're anything like me you're scratching your head and wondering what in the world is going on. We have plenty of technology and more resources and knowledge than at any other time in human history. But we just don't seem to be able to solve our problems anymore. They just get bigger and bigger. What's worse is we know what's going to happen if we continue down this path and it isn't pretty. So that's why I'm asking you, nope i'm pleading with you to take a moment to read the watchman's rattle because when you do you'll be able to spot the five impediments which stand in the way of solving our greatest threats you'll also discover what you can do about them go to rebecca or your favorite bookstore and grab a copy of the watchman's rattle don't wait if you care one iota about what's happening to the life you love you owe it to yourself to read the watchman's rattle it may have taken seven years to write, but you can
0: order it in under a minute. I'm Professor Burke from the University of Farmers, and this is a pop quiz. Does sitting on your wallet feel like sitting on a lopsided booster seat? No, but well, it should. See, farmers' agents can help you stuff your wallet by combining auto and home policies so you can walk tall, sit crooked, and hopefully find a decent chiropractor.
5: If you want
2: answers about saving money, you want a farmers' agent. We are insurance. We
4: are farmers. Bum,
0: Call Jerry Seagraves and the Seagraves team at 831-464-1870. It's time to paint the house. And who better to do the job than walls painting? Why? because Walls knows Walls. Locally owned Walls Painting is fully licensed, bonded, and insured and has been painting Central Coast homes and businesses for over three decades and is the Good Times Best of winner two years running.
6: Hello, I'm Jim Harmon, president of Walls Painting. We are committed to starting and finishing projects on time to maintaining a clean, safe, and ecologically friendly environment, and we are committed to excellence in our workmanship.
0: Get the most from your painting dollar. Call on Walls Painting, a proud member of Think local first. 831-425-3622. 425-3622 or wallspainting.com. Call walls right now and get a free color consultation from a real designer and $500 off any complete exterior or interior color job. 425-3622. And remember, walls
4: knows walls. Coast to Coast AM. Coming to a universe near you tonight.
2: Coast to Coast is one of those programs that deals with strange mysteries. We'll look at Bigfoot. We'll look at UFOs. We'll look at real science. And we'll also look at conspiracies and what it all means to you,
0: the listeners of Coast to Coast AM. Coast to Coast AM. Wait for it after dark. Beginning at 10 p.m. tonight on KSCO.
3: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is intelligence expert and ambassador at large, Mr. Henry Crumpton. And before the break, you were saying that while you were on the ground in Africa, you learned quite a bit from insurgent leaders, including the importance of understanding the underlying motives of the enemy because this would likely reveal their tactics. Now, you've been very vocal about the fact that the Clinton administration ignored or at the very least undervalued the extent to which al-Qaeda was a threat and was building as a threat, and you say that we were a nation at war, but we just didn't know it. So given your early observations when you first became aware of the attack on 9-11, was al-Qaeda the first organization that came to your mind? Because to me, that's always a litmus test of what we know, whatever comes top of mind.
4: Uh, Yes, Rebecca, I uh, immediately knew it was al-Qaeda, When I saw the second airplane uh, hit the tower, I was watching this on TV, and when that happened, there was no no doubt in my mind. In fact, I said out loud al-Qaeda, and uh, uh, not only critical of the Clinton administration, but also the Bush administration that that came into office in January of 2001. And it, it was not just the strategic intelligence and the warning that our teams had provided over the years, but it was... in. In fact, al-Qaeda's word and deed. They'd attacked our embassies in August of 98. Uh, We just launched a few cruise missiles in response. Uh, They had attacked the USS Cole in October of 2000, killed 17 of our sailors, and and they almost sank that warship. And we did nothing. Uh, Al-Qaeda was at war with us, but we just could not accept it. And, And partly understand it, because you have this group of of non-state actors uh, on the other side of the world in one of the poorest countries of the world, Afghanistan. And um, I just don't think that that our our policy leaders accepted that they posed a real threat to the homeland when in fact they did.
3: Yet our response to 9-11 was to march into Iraq. And you point out that there was absolutely nothing And I do mean nothing in the CIA's intelligence gathering to connect Iraq to 9-11. So what happened there?
4: Well, I wish I had all the answers to that. Uh, We, uh, of course, responded immediately to the attack and and the CIA deployed teams in Afghanistan. and, And we were very successful through the fall of 2001 in Afghanistan, overthrowing the Taliban, working with our Afghan partners. Uh, but at the time, and I didn't know this, uh, the the President and Secretary of, of Defense, Rumsfeld, had ordered General Franks to begin preparing for the invasion of Iraq. And uh, you're correct, uh, Iraq had nothing to do with with 9/11, although the White House uh, often uh, inferred or implied that it that it did, particularly the Vice President. And uh, I'm I'm still perplexed and and uh, and, and saddened by that, frankly.
3: Well, it seemed like much of the focus on Iraq seemed to come from Deputy Secretary of Defense Paul Wolfowitz, yet the CIA knew that al-Qaeda was responsible and that Saddam Hussein considered al-Qaeda a threat to Iraq. As well, so it was really unlikely that Iraq had anything to do in terms of sponsoring them or conspiring with them. So it it felt to me that the CIA was on a completely different page than other agencies when it came to
4: 9/11. Well, the, the CIA established an office in 1996 dedicated exclusively to uh, pursuing Al Qaeda and Bin Laden. Intelligence collection and some very limited, very modest covert action authorized by President Clinton. And so there had been years of work. And, and in fact, starting in September of 99, when I was at the Counterterrorism Center, we began sending teams into Afghanistan to, to build our networks, to work with our Afghan allies to collect intelligence against uh, Al Qaeda and, and the Taliban. So we had, uh, when 9-11 happened, we had more than 100 sources in every province, among every tribe in Afghanistan, and we were prepared to respond. Uh, It was a, a, a large degree of frustration, however, Rebecca, that we did not do more earlier.
3: My, my concern is how the CIA became marginalized. The CIA had this information. It was sounding the alarm in the Clinton and Bush administrations. They saw it coming. People like yourself who were in the center of that intelligence gathering operation saw the second plane go in and immediately knew it was al-Qaeda. Um, I, my worry today is ha- have those uh, pathways been opened up? Uh, it, it, do we have a same situation where we have these silos operating, and if one silo, be, you know, falls out of favor, nobody's listening? I mean, in in your view, as an outsider, do you see that things are better today?
4: I think in in some respects, but but even before nine eleven, uh, there was an integration uh, of different people and resources from different agencies. Uh, Is an example, in the Counterterrorism Center, in the bin Laden office at the time of 9-11, there were half a dozen FBI special agents that were working in that office, and they were CIA officers working at the FBI. So uh, there was sharing of of information. What I think is um, most startling, even in, in retrospect a decade later, is that the CIA wrote a, a memorandum, this has been August of 2001, to the White House, and, and it has been released, it's been declassified, and the title was Al-Qaeda Intentions to uh, intends to Attack the U.S. But but the U.S. took really no response. Now, I think that in some ways we have over-responded. Uh, the invasion of, of, of Iraq uh, spending $1 to maybe $2 trillion uh, over the last decade, and this was sparked by 19... 19- terrorists with box cutters um, it's really extraordinary how we in some ways overreacted now today i i think that we are more attuned to terrorist threats obviously after the horror of, of 9-11
3: but, but was this a case where intelligence got out in front of policy policy was well, lagging behind the intelligence that we had
4: Yes, that's the argument I make. And, and of course, the 9-11 Commission d- describes this as an intelligence failure. And there were mistakes, you know, no doubt. There was some tactical and some technical errors along the way, but the strategic warning was there. And I argue that 9-11 was, was really more a policy failure than it was an intelligence failure. But, of course, the, the 9-11 Commission, their charter did not extend the policy. It was It was focused on the intelligence community only.
3: Mm-hmm. And so I, I worry a little bit now about those kinds of overreactions uh, where in, in, in the intelligence gets out ahead of policy. And I know that you make the point that that can never happen, that 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 intelligence has to remain secondary to policy or you get the kind of situation of invading Iraq. Um, but you do see some improvement today.
4: Well, I think that you certainly have more resources. I mean, the, the budget is, is probably too big now in the intelligence arena. Um, it was just a few billion dollars before 9-11, and I think last year it was approaching 80 billion. But that might be too much. And I, I'm also concerned with the Washington-centric approach to the intelligence community. Mm-hmm. You've got the Director of National Intelligence. Now you have the new National Counterterrorism Center. And where we've succeeded, Rebecca, is when we've had a field bias, when we've had... The right kind of leaderships in the field, and the right strategy, and the right incentives and resources supporting.
3: Right, all that money is leading to career careers in Washington D.C. rather than finding its way out to the field. Now we have to take another right. short break. When we come back, I'd like to shift our discussion to Afghanistan. You're listening to the Costa Report. If your house has been on the market for more than three months, you might be asking yourself whether your agent is doing everything they can to sell it. Here's one way to tell if your agent is serious. They've talked to you about staging to sell. That's right, staging to sell. That's what they do at Point of Entry. They work with top realtors to capitalize on the first impression a buyer has of your home. Whether you live in a mansion or a planned community, every home has strengths and weaknesses. When the experts at Point of Entry stage to sell, they artfully accentuate a property's greatest strength and downplay its weaknesses. Just last month, the broker called Point of Entry to rescue a home that had been sitting on the market for over two years. The owners had almost given up. Point of Entry staged the home and within two weeks, the property sold within 5% of the asking price. If you have a home that isn't selling, contact the experts at Point of Entry at 925-330-8558 for an assessment. It's a tough market out there, so I'm going to give you that phone number one more time. 925-330-8558. Let Point of Entry show you how staging to sell can help you move that property today.
6: Hi, folks. How many of you out there love to garden? Wouldn't it be nice to grow some of your own food or maybe a flower garden would brighten your day? Well, now you can have the pleasures of gardening without all that effort. You don't need a tractor. You don't need a rototiller. All you need is the Knox Garden Box. A heavily constructed, portable, elevated garden on legs that can virtually change the way you've gardened in the past. The Knox Garden Box can be set up anywhere. Yes, you can place it right on concrete. For those with bad backs, you've got critters and gophers. No space or maybe no dirt. With the Knox Garden Box, the therapy of garden is now the prescription for good mental health. The way to find your fabulous Knox Garden Box is by logging on to KnoxGardenBox.com. That's K-N-O-X, GardenBox.com. Or by calling 831-461-9430.
3: Join us at the West Coast Dowsers and Metaphysics Conference, July 6th through the 9th at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Attend one day or the entire conference for over 60 presentations on aura reading, earth energies, alchemy, astrology, developing your psychic senses, manifesting your purpose, wellness, and much more. For full details and to register, visit dowserswestcoast.org or call 408-238-0735. That's dowserswestcoast.org or call 408-238-0735.
7: Oh, Trudy, you fancy some BBC then? What, the telly? No, I mean bangers, beans and chips, missus. Ooh, I'm a bit peckish. Are you making tea then? No, I thought we'd go to the Britannia Arms in Capitola. You know they've got a new one right on the beach.
4: Catch away, be sitting on top
3: of the world
7: blimey.
3: Does that place have
7: the same menu?
5: Yes, and some lovely new appetizers as well. Steam mussels, grilled artichokes, arji tartar.
3: That sounds delicious. You know what? I think I'm going to decide when I get there, I might go with the fish and chips, the chicken curry, or ribeye steak
7: with Yorkshire pudding. Well, they always pour a nice pint there as well.
6: Oh, I love a glass of cider. Right, we're off then, and you can buy the first round.
7: Because two Brits are better than one.
6: Return your arms are now in
7: two locations, in Capitola Village at the end of the Esplanade and at 8017 17 SoCal Drive
2: in Aptos. Lovely jubbly. Toodles!
6: Since 1849, California has been the new frontier, and the passion for innovation and development of great new products and services continues, but one thing that has changed is how these products and services are introduced, developed, and marketed to the consumer. Whether you're marketing a brand, a band, a product, or a service, Link Media Partners is here to help. To find out how we can help you, call 831-295-1849 or find us online at linkmediapartners.com.
3: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm here today with ambassador at large, clandestine CIA operations expert and author of the riveting new best-selling book, The Art of Intelligence, Mr. Henry Crumpton. And before the break, you were making the point that budgets have grown so tremendously that uh, it, this seems to have increased a Washington centrist approach rather than having intelligence being driven by the field. And I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to finish that thought.
4: Uh, yeah, thanks. We've had great success in, in Southeast Asia, as an example, uh, since the Bali bombings of 2002. We had some terrific field leaders, great ambassadors, great local partners, and and then, of course, Afghanistan, 0102, where we had initial success, Colombia. So there's uh, great examples of, of leadership in the field where intelligence has driven the right types of policies in the counterterrorism arena. Uh, but where we've suffered, I believe, is this this huge growth in Washington D.C. of more agencies. I think the Washington Post did a survey, and there are uh, more than a thousand different agencies, departments, offices that have some role in national security now. It's uh, just grown too big, I believe.
3: And and within each of these agencies, there seem to be layers and layers of experts.
4: Uh, Yes, and and competing interests. Some overlap is is, is useful, Uh, but um, I think right now it may may be too big. Mm
3: -hmm. Now, in addition to openly talking about tactics used to recruit agents on the ground, uh, you describe in fascinating detail why, following 9-11, President Bush asked the CIA to take the leadership role in Afghanistan. So can you explain that to our listeners today?
4: Sure, it was pretty simple. Um, the, the president looked uh, to his national command uh, uh, authority, uh, to the secretary of defense, state, CIA, others, and said, who has a plan? And the only uh, uh, official that, stood, that stepped forward was the, the director of the CIA, George Tennant. And because the CIA had been working on this for uh, the previous years, there was a deep understanding. And Director Tenet was accompanied by the chief of the county, President Center National Security, And the president agreed with that initial plan and gave uh, really unprecedented authority to Director Tennant and the CIA.
3: And, and that's a good word to use. That was unprecedented because, in fact, normally that leadership would have come out of the Department of Defense, as I understand it. Is that right?
4: Uh, that, that, that's correct. Now we had a very close relationship with the Department of Defense, particularly Central Command, General Tommy Franks. Uh, I, I just had a great relationship with him, and with the Special Operations Command. The the Pentagon in Washington D.C. there was uh, there was less uh, cooperation at that level. But the warfighter, Central Command, Special Ops Command, those were our primary partners
3: absolutely so it's very difficult to believe that the cia neutralized the taliban and began dismantling al-qaeda's operations within 90 days of 9-11 with fewer than 500 americans on the ground so how was that possible
4: well it goes back to the intelligence networks that we had developed over the years and uh, it was a combination of cia and special forces on the ground on December 7th, 2001, when Kandahar fell, that was the last urban stronghold of the Taliban, we had killed uh, almost a quarter of al-Qaeda leadership. The Taliban had been routed. Uh, the remnants were fleeing to Pakistan. Uh, at that time, I had 110 CIA officers under my command on the ground, about 300 to 400 special ops uh, with us. But what has, has not been, I think, fully acknowledged is is the role of our afghan partners it was really an afghan victory uh, afghan tribal armies uh, r- rallied with us and with our superb air power and our intelligence and and our our leadership uh we were able to empower the afghans to take back their country and and that's why it happened in in just under three months
3: and This was a true collaboration, and for some reason, that story has not gotten to the American people. Why?
4: Well, it might be just as simple as how we think of war. And and commentators today, uh, historians, experts, others often refer to the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan after 9-11. But that's incorrect. It was not an invasion. It was an empowerment of our Afghan allies. Uh, and and uh, that's fundamental to understanding why we succeeded. And I think, Rebecca, in part, it may explain why we're in Afghanistan today with 130,000 U.S. and allied troops. And in some ways, it, it is an occupying force. Uh, and they, some Afghans view it that way.
3: But uh, we went from 500 it? Americans on the ground to 130,000, and uh, we don't look like we're collaborating as it stands today.
4: In, in some areas we are, but in others not. I think some of the insurgency, the Taliban—not Al Qaeda, but some of the Taliban—they uh, they are fighting because we're there. We're we're in their valley. We're, we're in their village, and and they see us as a, a, a foreign invader. Now, that's that's part of the issue. And I think that where we've had some success in Afghanistan is again empowering Afghans. Local militia uh, have been uh, recruited, trained, and being and, and paid now. And, and they've done some very good work, but it's pretty limited. Uh, now, the Afghan police are, are, are corrupt and have a very long way to go. Some elements of the Afghan army are, are doing pretty well. But we missed a huge window of opportunity, really, 02 to 0506, when we were in Iraq, not tending to uh, the business of Afghanistan and finishing the job.
3: And we have uh, some concerns that once the money pulls out and the troops pull out, will that Afghan economy be able to stand on its own two feet without the millions and millions of dollars that are going into their uh, that economy right now? I mean, in, in some ways, that troop buildup has created a false economy.
4: Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I believe we're spending between $1 and $2 billion a week in Afghanistan right now. And and in 2014, uh, we're not going to withdraw all troops. We'll have some troops there, special forces in particular, uh, intelligence But we
3: operations. will be withdrawing the money. Uh,
4: to a large degree, yes. And right now, probably half the Afghan economy is based on narcotics trafficking. So uh, we have a long way to go in, in, in supporting them and helping them.
3: You know, you point out that the Afghans were our allies, and not too long ago, I had a chance to talk with Carl Eikenberry, who, as you know, was our ambassador on the ground, and I asked him about that term ally, and I said, we we seem to have a a strange definition for what it means to be an American ally, maybe our bar is set a little too low, because we have given... Pakistan billions of dollars and when we found out Osama bin Laden was there we didn't bother to either let them take care of it or even notify them that we were going into their country that hardly seems like the kind of relationship you have with an ally does it
4: it's very and uh, in some ways it are a good ally they've helped us capture and kill numerous al-qaeda leaders but they're also supporting elements of the Taliban there's no doubt about it and I believe that at least Some members of the Pakistani military, particularly their ISI, their intelligence, not only knew about bin Laden, but probably provided some type of support for him to to be in Abbottabad for all those years. Uh, At the same time, we can't walk away from Pakistan. They have 100 nuclear weapons at least, and uh, their liberal institutions are under assault. And uh to some degree they, they need our help. But at the same time I believe we can be a little more forceful and uh and get get more from them than we have.
3: It certainly seems to me that these relationships with these allies in the Middle East are messy.
4: Pretty sure, and, and a lot of it is because of the, the nature of war and, and, and the nature of enemies has has changed dramatically. This is not World War Two or nations are fighting nations. You've got al-Qaeda, you've got Hezbollah, you've got the Taliban, you've got this multitude of of non-state actors across not just the Middle East, but other parts of the globe. And this is complicating warfare. Uh, Right now, you look at the Free Syrian Army. Are they allies? Or if so, can we depend on them and how do we work with them that's a very that's a
3: very good point um we have to take our last break when we come back i'd like to get your views on where intelligence gathering stops and individual civil liberties must be protected you're listening to the costa report
5: Hello, my name is Tom Burkhart, founder and CEO of Savant Investment Group. We recently opened an office on the Monterey Peninsula headed by local 22-year resident Peter Truman. Our firm began working with clients in the Bay Area 20 years ago. We understand the anxiety of the typical investor, particularly in these volatile times. We're SEC registered, we don't sell products, and we don't receive commissions. We are fee-only advisors. We have full trust services and our own skilled investment committee. In fact, they manage my money. We manage accounts for $1 million and above. You can reach us at 1-800-672-8268, 1-800-672-8268, and visit our website at www.savantig.com. Again, www.savantig.com. Thank you.
1: Well,
3: it's about time. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, and I'm here to tell you the wait is over. The new Rebecca Costa mobile app is now available at the Apple iTunes Store. Just click on the iTunes icon on your screen and you can download the free Rebecca Costa app. You get an instant message when new episodes of the Costa Report are available. Breaking news, links to password-protected videos, and the opportunity to grab free tickets to speaking events in your area. So don't wait. Go to Apple iTunes and download the free Rebecca Costa app right now and stay informed, connected, and alert.
1: It's a cold, hard fact. Nationwide, we're losing two officers a week because they're shot through doors and windows while serving warrants. If you're a first responder who puts your life in the line every time you go to work, I have good news for you from Armored Mobility. Hi, I'm Sergeant Bill Gaza. I'm a 20-year law enforcement veteran, SWAT team leader. I've taught first responders throughout the Central Coast how to do our job safely and go home at the end of their shift. Officer safety rule number one is use the best tools available to protect yourself the best you can. Armored Mobility is a local Scotts Valley company. We manufacture non-ceramic, multi-strike, hard-body armor and shields that will stop rifle rounds. 223, 308, AK-47, doesn't matter. Our armor and shields will stop those rounds not just once, but multiple strikes. Visit our website, ArmoredMobility.com. See for yourself how cost-effective and how much protection and peace of mind a few dollars a month can buy for you and those who depend on you. We've partnered with San Francisco Police Credit Union to offer financing options to help you get what you need. Visit them at sfpcu.org. /ami Your number one priority is to go home safely at the end of your shift. Invest in your future. Armoredmobility.com reach for the sky hello i'm chris galardi of specialized aviation at the watsonville and monterey airports you can reach for the sky in one of specialized aviation's airplanes or helicopters and it will be so easy you'll wonder why you waited so long to fly
7: hello i'm mary mcdonald i'm an aerobatic pilot here at specialized aviation join us at the watsonville aviation thrill center for all kinds of extreme flying fun i'm talking aerobatics from three thousand feet where you loop roll spin and dance over the Monterey Bay, or a graceful helicopter tour for that over-the-top view of all the magic the beautiful Monterey Bay has to offer, or take on the adventure and challenge of learning to fly a helicopter or an airplane, or jump out of an airplane and free fall from 14,000 feet. It's all here, and it prices starting at only
1: $33. Specialized Aviation at the Watsonville and Monterey Airports, 831-763-2244. Or sphelie <laughs>
3: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is CIA clandestine operations expert, Mr. Henry Crumpton. And before we went to that last break, you were making the point that the relationship the United States has with allies such as Pakistan is often complicated. In some instances, they aid us with intelligence and support. But in other circumstances, they may be facilitating known U.S. enemies. But it makes no sense to cut off our nose to spite our face if they're providing some assistance is that right
4: uh, that's that's correct i think that um they they need encouragement and and they they need help and there are elements in pakistan that uh do appreciate the us support and one role where we've been very helpful i think is encouraging them to work more closely in in trade and uh other areas with uh with india and there is some progress there in the last few months so it's not. It's not all bad news.
3: Now, switching gears for just a moment, it's almost impossible to talk about the need for clandestine operations without talking about the danger of intruding on individual civil civil liberties and privacy. So, I'd like to get your take on where the rights of the individual are trumped by the need to protect the greater good.
4: Well, the best intelligence is really about trusted networks, particularly when you think of our homeland. The the beat cop who's got a great understanding, a great relationship with local civic leaders and clergy and school teachers. Uh, that's how we should think about intelligence. Now, uh, of course, uh, you do need surveillance. You do need undercover operations at times. But I, I I certainly don't think it should be this Orwellian, unblinking surveillance systems that that some people ascribe to. It's about trusted networks. It's about having that. Uh, community knowledge and that, that local understanding. And that's true overseas. It's true here in the homeland.
3: But how reliable are the people on the ground in many instances, the people that we trusted for intelligence information in the case of Iraq and Afghanistan proved to you know, be motivated by money, right? So how do you vet that out? How do you trust the, the field sources for information?
4: Well, that's a key piece piece of the tradecraft. The intelligence business is, is trying to validate these sources and these partners and prospective partners. In Afghanistan, we had great partners. We dropped teams behind enemy lines, and they were totally dependent on our Afghan allies for their survival. Uh, and, but we had been working with these Afghans for years. We understood them. We trusted them. Uh, but there have been cases, uh, particularly in Iraq, where we depended on one source and he was a fabricator and mm-hmm. uh that led to some some horrible policy choices
3: Absolutely now, no question that during this election year, it's likely that the subject of Guantanamo is going to come up, and we have uh, people being held for more than 10 years without being charged, and many who we obtained confessions and information from through some questionable means, um, creating a situation where even if we were to try them, some of this evidence may be inadmissible. Since we can't just let people die of old age out there, um, how, how do you believe we're going to handle this, and, and how valid? was the intelligence that we collected through means such as waterboarding in your view
4: well the enhanced interrogation techniques uh, I, I don't have direct knowledge of that by
3: the way I love that um, word enhanced interrogation I, I love those words <laughs> right
4: well,
3: I, I, you're so diplomatic in your book I, I had to, I, I would look at these words and I would say wait a minute what does that really mean
4: <laughs> well it enhanced interrogation techniques uh, employed by the CIA, I-, I think they were effective based on what my colleagues told me, based on the intelligence reports that I, I read that came from these. Uh, now, now, when does it cross the, the threshold of torture? Well, my personal belief is that waterboarding uh, is torture. I think all the measures short of that we're not but that's my my personal opinion
3: and so what about the intelligence extracted from waterboarding would you would you know as an expert in in extracting intelligence would you say that you would find that reliable or would you say that just crosses over into unreliable information that people are saying anything to get the pain to stop
4: well um Uh, At first, I am not an interrogator. I'm an Mm -hmm. intelligence officer, and and there's a a difference. But based on what my colleagues have told me, colleagues I trust, yes, it was effective, and the intelligence was very valuable. Mm -hmm. I believe that However, this should not be a decision by the CIA or the president to use these types of techniques. It it really should rest with Congress as representative of the American people, because it's not just about are these effective or not. Is this something that we as a nation want to do because we pay a price when we do? But perhaps if we do not employ these techniques, we may also pay a price. And it's a much bigger issue than the CIA alone
3: that's correct and so how would they go about doing something like that would they have to review the interrogation techniques and then decide which are permissible and which are not is that what you're
4: saying Uh, yes that's that's what i'm saying i think it should be a, a matter for both the white house and 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 for congress because we're going to continue to have these problems there will be other terrorist groups there will be other attempts on on the homeland. And these issues will come up again. So I I think the the matter has not been resolved.
3: I would agree with you. It's not been resolved. I will tell you a, a short story that before I would put a collar on my dog for one of those electronic fences, I put it on my own neck. And I do think there's something to be said about having to have the experience of what it is like. I think that for those people who think waterboarding is OK, I'd like to see them undergo that and then make the decision based on empirical data. Would you agree?
4: Oh, well, I, I don't know if we could expect members of Congress and the president to subject themselves to that, but I think that experts uh, – should and they do. In fact, uh, the special operations uh, and CIA officers they go under rigorous training, uh, uh, and, and some of it has included waterboarding. So they understand what it may be like if they are uh, captured uh, and, and uh, interrogated by the enemy
3: you're you're absolutely right they do undergo a very rigorous training now we're almost out of time for today so before we say goodbye um, tell our listeners where they can go to get your book which is quite extraordinary and i hope they will all go out and read this book i i think you just tell it like it is and it's very important for people to get facts rather than listen to the media spin that has gone on uh and and so i really urge people to pick up the art of intelligence where can they go to get the book?
4: Uh, Rebecca, it's in most of the major bookstores. Uh, Also you can order it online uh, from Amazon and and other uh, online retailers. And it was a a, a great uh, opportunity and responsibility for me to, to write the book, to try to convey the importance of intelligence and what intelligence officers do and how they serve their country, and uh, I hope readers enjoy it.
3: I think you did a tremendous honor to those people who are serving our country in the intelligence field. Um, now, how can people keep track of you? Because, after all, you are an expert at clandestine operations. It might not be so easy to keep track.
4: Uh, well, um, I, 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 well, Rebecca, I will occasionally comment uh, if... If there is an opportunity, if 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 people want to hear me on, on, on the media, um, however, um, I, I've I've got a consulting business and that really does take take most of my time now that the book is uh, has has been completed.
3: And they but can if, go uh, to your website.
4: Well, uh, no, I, I really don't have a, a a website. There is a Facebook page and, and people can go there. if if they're interested, and they have links to many of the interviews uh, and some of the commentaries uh, on the Facebook page.
3: Spoken like a true expert in espionage. (laughs) I figured it wouldn't be that easy to track your whereabouts. Well, that's our program for today, but I do want to take a moment to thank you for serving our country and for bringing the value of clandestine operations to light in your tremendous book. Thank you, Mr. Crumpton.
4: Rebecca, thank you. Best of luck.
3: If your station is leaving us after this first hour, next week my guest will be Tom Bevan, the co-founder of one of my favorite websites for objective reporting, Real Clear Politics. This is the only site which posts multiple opinion polls from the left, right, and the center, and then offers a perspective which is a lot closer to the truth than perhaps any other media source that you can go to. And I have a lot of friends that are on the extreme left and the extreme right, and I have to tell you, we all love real clear politics. That may be the one common ground that we have. I encourage you to go to their website before next week when its founder will explain why sites like this have become necessary in order to filter out the growing bias in media. So don't miss Tom Beaven next week, right here on your favorite weekly news program. Until then, I'm Rebecca Costa, and you're listening to The Costa Report.
7: Just about everyone knows that fruits and vegetables are good for our health. But not everyone knows how to build a healthier plate. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. For each meal, nutrition experts recommend filling half of your plate with fruits and veggies. Whether it's fresh berries with your breakfast cereal, a wrap filled with your favorite roasted vegetables for lunch, or a medley of crunchy veggies for a pre-dinner nibble, Dole provides the freshest and highest quality produce available. When you load up on all the nutritional good stuff, you give your meal an instant boost of color, flavor, and texture, plus vitamins and minerals and fiber. Everything your body needs to succeed. For nutritional inspiration and to learn more about Dole's fresh, whole, and cut vegetables and a full line of berries, visit Dole.com. With Dole as your partner in health, the possibilities are endless.
1: So... If you're a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan, like me, coming home can be harder than expected. But it turns out I wasn't alone.
3: At IAVA.org, there's There's a free free online community of of
6: thousands of vets vets who've got your back. back. Whether it's managing the transition home or everyday everyday stuff
1: like finding a nice sweater for my dog. sweater? (laughs) Okay, maybe not that. Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America is there for you. Join our community at
5: IAVA.org. we got your back. Brought to you by IAVA and the Ad Council.
6: We've got a transmitter, and we're not afraid to use it. News Talk
2: 1080 KSCO.